you are now tuned in the most talked about podcast in the country, in the country. DT, unfiltered and uncensored. Now here's your host, DT. It's the man of the hour. It's your boy, it's DT on DT's Unfiltered Uncensored on the Block 105 Radio, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can hear my show. Man, I can't wait. I got, this is, I'm so excited about the show I have on today. I have two of the most respected men in the state of Georgia. And when I say Georgia, you know Georgia known for producing some of the top athletes in the country. We got my boy Travis Hunter, Sharif Cooper, Brandon Boston, Travis Isaac Okora, Jalen Brown, Lou Williams, and Dwight Howard, just to name a few. Well, let me go ahead and introduce my guest first to the show. When this man walk into the gym, everybody already know he's about to evaluate talent, so you better turn up. He's been doing scouting for four years. He has four, eight years of coaching. He represents on the radar hoops, one of the top premier uh, tournament circuit in the Southeast. Welcome to the show, Keith Agarin. Coach Dave, super psyched to, uh, to talk some hoops tonight with Coach Dick. Great, great. And my second guy I have on the show, this guy has a resume a mile long. He has three state championships, 13 region championships, seven as a head coach. He took the Collins Hill Eagles to their first Elite Eight in 23 years. Now he's returning back to his stumping ground, his home school, where they love and adore him, East Hall High School in Gainesville, Georgia. Welcome to the show, Coach Joseph Dix. Good to be here, Coach. Appreciate you having me, brother. Great, great. Well, I'm glad I have you two guys on the phone. I've been nervous about this interview. I've been around Zaytoven, and I, I, I'm real cool with Zaytoven. It's just like I'm, I'm interviewing him right now, so I've been excited about this for the last few days when you all decided to do my show, so I'm looking forward to this. So I, I got a couple questions I want to ask you first, and either one of y'all can go first. I can start off with um, you, Coach Ditz, on this because I know you've been coaching recently. So, and then um, Keith, you could go answer the question as well because you have coach as well. So, as a coach, Coach Ditz, what is your main philosophy? Philosophy you build or, or around your team? Um. Well, I guess. Um the first thing um, that we try to get get them doing as far as basketball goes is uh, is the level of effort that we're going to get out of them. Um, I think anything that we do kind of starts with that and um, trying to get them going and trying to get them to understand the, the level of play that we want, the level of effort that we want to play with. Um, at that point, the next thing, and I'm doing this right now, uh, and going back because none of these kids played for me at East Hall. A lot of them know who I am, but but none of these kids played for me. A few of them I had in youth camp way back when. But uh, the other thing is just developing a philosophy and kind trying to show them our philosophy and what we do and how we do it on a daily basis. Um, you know, culture's a uh, a word that everybody's using nowadays, but that's literally what we're trying to put in right now. It's just getting them to understand our culture and and how and what level of effort and and what style of play we want to try to play. Okay. And Keith, when you coach, what was your philosophy? 
I, lo- I love what uh, what Coach just said about effort. Uh, that that was one of the words that was in the back of my mind when you asked the question. The second is enthusiasm. Um, effort and enthusiasm, uh, I think, are the basis. Um, now I was a boys assistant and then a girls head coach. So when I got to be a head coach, it was my first time doing it. Coach Dix, obviously, many, many more years uh, on the sidelines, but I'm sure that he's kept the same uh, doctrine the whole way through. And for me, I felt that building off of, I guess, actually reversing it, enthusiasm first, right? Because especially when you're building, coach was going back to East Hall, um, and I was in a rebuilding project with that girls program up in New Jersey. Enthusiasm was, was where we needed to start. We needed to get them interested. We wanted them to want to be there. We wanted them to have a good time while also realizing that it takes a certain amount of effort to even get the thing going, much less reach your goals, which are usually sometimes years down the road. So uh, I'd say the same thing to prospects, uh, like I did when I met with you guys, uh, Coach D. I mean, effort and enthusiasm when you're evaluating, effort, enthusiasm, and enthusiasm when you're coaching, I think, uh, for me, has always has always been successful. It's certainly a successful place to start. You need a little talent, as Coach uh, Dix will tell you, but um, you can get things rolling, I think, with those two items in in abundance. Okay, I feel you. I I, I see the philosophy because I I have some of the same philosophy as I coach and stuff like that. But I know y'all have like the main, the real pedigree behind, especially Coach Diz. I know his philosophy. I kind of watched him over the years, so I know I see his boys and they perform at a high level when um they play on the court. So um, what are the most important character um building qualities you teach your players? Either one, you go first. Um, probably, I guess the character building, probably communication. Um, I'm, I'm big on that. You know, guys, kind of talking to me and letting me know what's going on uh, with them as far as off the court stuff goes. Uh, obviously, on the floor, we want them communicating, but. Uh, you know, the other thing is responsibility. You know, I'm not a, I'm not big on sending. Obviously, I'll keep in contact with parents, but a lot of the time, I want the young man to be able to communicate what's going on with his parents because he's been responsible in understanding, um, right, of what we want. And then, I guess the third one is probably, you know, the the academic piece, you know, their behavior and their and how they carry themselves in our school is going to play a role in what level or role they have in our program. So if you're a kid who who made some decisions that you're not going to carry yourself and have the character within our school, then you're going to have a hard time dealing with me because I'm not going to be accepting of, well, he's a good player, so anything goes. So everybody can't play for me understand <laughs> how about you Keith? i yeah no i i, I that, again i knew i was gonna i'm glad you're asking me second i knew i was going to be able to build off of some of coach dix's wisdom here um everybody's not gonna be able to play for me i love that line because you we are as as coaches and and definitely as evaluators in today's climate even even pre-COVID, but certainly now post-COVID as things have changed. I mean, they're coming back a little bit to, to the old way, so to speak. But we're developing young people. Um, 
to face what's ahead of them beyond the basketball court. So, you know, coaches, coaches, I think, have a responsibility. Uh, some, some will look at it with, with different angles, different lenses. Um, but developing these young men and women, um, I think, is a key responsibility for, for any coach uh, that takes on the role. So, I mean, and everyone's not going to be an A-plus communicator, and every, everyone's not going to necessarily have, you know, a real diehard set of doctrines that they're going to go by. They may fly a little bit, you know, by the seat of their pants. Um, but when I, when I look at it from, from evaluation standpoint, more so now these days, what I have learned from talking to coaches is that they're just as interested in what kind of kid he is, what kind of person he or she is, uh, and how they will impact their program beyond the basketball floor as they often are uh, how they'll impact it on the floor. So, you know, when I talk to kids, when I coach kids, um, I want them to communication like coach said, learn to communicate, even in the simplest way, the handshakes, the looking in, you know, the eye contact, the, the things that will prepare them for the things that they will face with a whole new environment and a whole new set of adults in their lives. Um, so important stuff beyond just the basketball X's and O's for sure. Okay. I understand. I'm the same way. With, I'm big on communication. I tell my players all the time, I shouldn't have to tell your parents. Now, if y'all like fifth graders, fourth graders, sixth graders, I understand. But when they get to high school, when I tell right. you we got practice this time or we got a tournament this weekend or the schedule, I shouldn't have to go to your parents and say, hey, you know we got a tournament this weekend. Oh, I didn't know. Did your son tell you? And they were like, oh, no, they don't tell me. Not. See, that's the thing. It's bad communication. And for some reason, this generation has got real lazy when it comes to communicating. They want coaches to do everything. And I haven't noticed that. Yeah, that that's true. That is true. So, yeah. so y'all both have coached. So growing up, who was the coach that you admired, whether it's professionally in the NBA or is in college? Who did you uh, admire? Uh, you can go ahead, Keith. Oh, thanks, Coach. Um, you know, I am an old-school Big East guy from the 80s. Um, that was obviously featured heavily uh, in the New York, New Jersey area where I grew up. So, But the development of the Big East was a huge impact um, on my developing life as a young man in basketball. So, I mean, you name it. You pick the guys from the early Big East days. I mean, John Thompson, uh, the, those Georgetown teams, and just John Thompson – on the floor and John Thompson off the floor was incredibly influential for me. Jim Beheim at Syracuse, who's incredibly still coaching, um, is a, a philosophical influence on me. I took a lot of, uh, particularly his defensive philosophies, um, and used those to great success, particularly with the girls. Um, I would say, going back even further than that, I've read I've read quite a few books uh, about uh, about John Wooden and John Wooden's life, and um, it's tough to put the John Wooden style of coaching on today's young people with how regimented and and almost militaristic he was in the way he did things. But I I actually attempted it, and it actually worked fairly well, uh, even in the early in the early 2000s when, when I did most of my coaching. So uh, uh, th those principles still can work, even though it's a completely different world and a kind of a completely different kid. And um, mine, it's funny, Coach, 
he brought up John Thompson because uh, he would be um, probably the national coach that I uh, admired the most, obviously, as a young African-American, young man who wanted to be a coach. You know, him being the first to win a national title and the way he, the way he brought, the way Georgetown carried themselves, the way they, you know, they, they had it branded, you know, Hoya Paranoia and the whole bit was, I love that, you know, growing up. And then um, my high school coach probably was my biggest influence, Ernest Washington. He's still alive. Um, he's in his late 80s and uh he was the first coach who was tough and hard on me and uh, you know he, he did things to us probably that nowadays would get you fired but uh, uh you know but we we loved that man and he was a hall of fame coach won over 800 games and two state titles and and a lot of the philosophies that we that I still carry with me now are, are from him. Okay. Well, we're about to take a quick break. Um, Keith, I want you to throw it to your first song. What made you choose Lunatic Fringe? Well, I see a theme developing here about my 80s upbringing. Uh, this, is a, <laughs> this, is a, this is a song from, uh, from my youth that, that wasn't a huge radio hit, and I don't want to give you, uh, you know, the full skinny and history on the song here and waste your time. But it wasn't a huge radio hit, but it featured in a, a famous sports movie that some of your listeners may be familiar with, uh, a movie by the name of Vision Quest, which was about a high school wrestler played by Matthew Modine, who's an, who's an actor that uh, people may recognize as well. And um, and this song was uh, is, is featured late in the movie, you know, climactic portion of the movie. And um, <laughs> the kind of thing that sticks with you. As a as a young kid or a young man, and and if you like the song, then you're forever associated with the movie. So, Lunatic Fringe by Red Rider. All right, here you go. We'll be right back. Okay, I put y'all on my speaker to take y'all off so y'all don't have to hit on y'all ears. Okay. Um, okay. So, um, just to give y'all a heads up, the next question, once we come back, is going to be, um, how do you think um, basketball has changed, high school basketball has changed over the past 20 years, um, since the early 2000s to now? And then also, we're going to talk about how do y'all feel about these players who jump from team to team, they go from high school to high school, and not be consistent, you know, you know, stick it out. They all go from there. One good at one school. Next year, the next year, they be top players that from team to team. So they're gonna be the next two questions.
Yo, it's your boy DT back on my show. DT's unfiltered, uncensored on the block 105 radio, Apple Podcast, Spotify, anywhere you can hear podcasts. Now I'm back with um, Coach Ditz and Keith Agarin. So, guys, so the next question I want to ask is I know both of you have many years of coaching high school basketball. How do you feel it has trained? change over the last 22 decades, 20 years? Um, I guess probably the biggest thing is it's just the growth um, and, and the explosion of basketball or just across the, even the full, just looking at the state of Georgia. You know, when I first came to East Hall, I came to East Hall in 96. And <laughs> the region was spread out, like, like, like spread out several counties over. Like, example, East Hall at the time was two A, and Decula was the first region game that I coached in. They were two A at the time, and obviously Decula is seven A now, you know. But they were at the time two A. Um, Loganville was in our region. I think they're five or six A now. And there was no, there were only like four county schools in Hall County. Now there's seven. So you, you look at all of that, um, all of those things, just the, the initial growth of, of, of just the area, uh, particularly Gwinnett and Hall County, um, the explosion of, of kids. And then the improvement of basketball in the outlying areas, you know, um, the mountain schools, when I first got here, those were automatic wins. You were going to Dawson County or Lumpkin or, or any of those counties in Northeast Georgia, those were wins. They, they weren't very good at all. I mean, you look at Lumpkin County's girls won the state championship this year uh, in their classification. You know, Dawson's been the, multiple Final Fours in the last four or five years. Uh, Banks County has had several Division One players over the last few years. So, I mean, when you start looking at, for, for me, that's been the biggest change. It's just the explosion of growth in the area and the explosion of the level of basketball being played. Okay. Keith, how you feel about it? Has it changed over 20 years? Yeah. I saw I saw the population situation in, in the New York, New Jersey area has been pretty static. So I wouldn't say that I saw that there, but I, I saw the, the elevation in talent before I left. I spent four years in Southern California, two of those back in basketball to a small degree working on working on the youth level while I was out there. Um, and I would say even there in San Diego County, I noticed more kids that could play at younger ages. And I'm, I'm kind of segueing now to my three plus years of scouting here in town. The younger I go and look at age groups um, for evaluation, and obviously, you know, in, in my profession, we 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 like about I like evaluating kids, you know, 14 years and unders, but we don't. You know, we're not putting a ton of stock in what they're doing at that age. We're really just trying to get familiar with them as potential prospects for later down the road. But they're certainly better 
at those ages than they've ever been before, in, in my opinion. Obviously, the availability of training, private training, uh, tremendous basketball culture here in Atlanta beyond. I knew it was a big city, obviously, when I moved here uh, 11 years ago. Um, but even but even since then, uh, I, I talk to people and they say, in that span of time, it's taken on another another life of its own. And coaches, obviously, been here a lot longer. And I see it in these outlying counties. I live in Forsyth County, and I travel up north of me to see teams like Dawson, and even further north, getting familiar with Northwest Georgia a little bit of late. And we're you know we're grabbing talent out of that area now. Um, that's worth certainly worth a look. Um, so the the extension of the population naturally brings in more people, more kids, more talented human beings, a, a better athlete. Each, you know, every 10 years or so, we're taking another step. You see it in the NBA. Um, just better, <laughs> better human beings, uh, and, and they're getting better training, much more qualified and better training, particularly here in Atlanta at a younger age. Um, and so, yeah, as a coach, you better be ready every time out. Coach uh, Coach Dix couldn't be more right about that. Just, there aren't a ton of automatic wins anymore, as he can probably vouch from from Collins Hill and beyond. Um, you got to be ready to ball out at uh, at just about every juncture. You never know <laughs> who you're going to see. Right. So, uh, but it's exciting. It's exciting as an evaluator and exciting as a coach to think that you could have some talent to work with, and certainly have a plenty of great basketball to watch, which I've enjoyed now for for three plus years here in town. Okay, so speaking of we saying how it changed over the 20 years, what are your, either one of y'all can go on this for, what are your thoughts when you see top high school players switching high schools, AAU teams throughout their career? Do you feel like the NBA players have had an effect on these young players since you see so many of them request a trade because they aren't happy with their team? I have, I have never seen so many high school players and college players at that in the last two years transfer. Or has this always been like that? It's just because of social media made it big. Um, yeah, no, I no, it's it's definitely changed. Um, you know, my son is a is an assistant coach at Wake Forest. He's on Steve Forbes staff, and just hearing him talk about um, what goes on at that level in the ACC, I mean, it's 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 mind boggling. I mean, they're you know, they had a successful issue. Their first year there, they won, I think they won six games their first year. And then they turned it around this year and won 25 games, won 13 in ACC. Unfortunately, they were on the bubble and didn't make the tournament because the ACC wasn't as highly thought of as it turned out the ACC ended up being. But, um, you know, their team this year, you know, they brought in, it, it was they were able to get things going in the right direction pretty quickly. You know, they brought in uh, several transfers out of the portal, including one who wound up being the ACC Player of the Year, and Alondis Williams, and is probably going to get drafted in a few weeks. Uh, they just found out today Jake Laravia, their other All ACC player, is is staying in the draft and probably going to be drafted as well. And, you know, so it's it's made for the ability to have a quick fix at the collegiate level. Um, but they've also lost kids the same way, you know. Um, so they, they just understand that to just be part of what it is right now. 
now in high school, I don't have a problem. And I've, and I've worked in both situations. I've, East Tall, we got very few transfers. At Collins Hill, I had transfers every year. And if you think that the situation that you're transferring to is going to be better for your son or your daughter, then I, I really don't have a problem with that. You would send them somewhere if you felt there was some academic situation that might be better for them. So I don't think there's anything wrong with athletic situations. My problem and my only issue is, you know, if there's someone influencing that beyond you and your family, then that's, I think that's where you have to kind of take a look at. And is this the right thing for us? You know, if, if some AAU coach is, is, is pushing buttons, trying to get you to go to certain places because he gets gym time there or whatever it may be, then you have to ask yourself, is that a good idea? If there's some high school coach who's begging your son or daughter to come, promising things, you know, when they call, I get calls every year. Um, I kept up with it last year. Last year, I got 75 phone calls or text messages or emails or physical contact from people wanting to come. Now, obviously, they all did come. Only about three or four wound up actually coming, but I give them the same spiel. Two things are going to happen. Number one, I'm going to coach your son. I mean, that's, and I'm not always going to be nice. So if you're signing up for nice, you keep, keep moving. And, <laughs> and the other, you know, you know, and the other thing is if, if, if you have some expectations other than he gets in and, and, and works for what he deserves, then he probably needs to move on as well because I'm not promising you anything other than I'm on coaching. So, you know, I'm all, if it's, if it works, it works. You know, I've had great situations. Some of the kids have come and it's worked out very well for them. And then others have come and it didn't work out well. So it is a gamble every time you do that. But, you know, and it used to be they saw that as a red flag. Colleges did. Oh, a kid was at four or five high schools. You know, it's not nearly the red flag, believe it or not, that it once was. It's just kind of understood because, like, Wake Forest is going to have a point guard this year who they've already signed who will be on his third school in four years. They had a power forward last year who played at four different schools in four years. So so they're accustomed to those situations, and it doesn't bother them nearly as much as it probably wants to. Keith, you want to chime in? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I ride the fence a little bit on this subject because I ha I'm in a unique position. Um, it's only a, only a handful of us that are doing this uh, around town on a full-time basis. So the access and to both parents, coaches, AAU, high school, you know, across the spectrum for me is a little bit more than the average than the average guy. Um, look, I, I, I am... <laughs> I'm a longtime believer in the capitalistic system in the sense that you have to take your opportunities to maximize your value when they present themselves. Um, that's the society we've built, the society we live in. It doesn't appear to be going anywhere. In fact, it's in overdrive in many ways. So that together with 
I think that in a sense, COVID certainly ramped up the process. You see it ramped up the process with NILs. It ramped up the process with this unlimited transfer portal situation. I think, um, I believe they ramped it up, but I know it was going on to some degree as coach just said. Um, and now it's off and running uh, in a way that, you know, echoes sort of the, the free agency that you see in sport and professional sports. So again, it comes back to sort of, you know, the model, the societal model of kids uh, being able to, and frankly, I agree with the ability to, to be able to go and maximize their value wherever they think that they can do so. Um, Coach's point about the outside influences uh, with their own agendas, that's, again, kind of probably always been around to some degree, maybe larger now. Uh, certainly, the I know well, covering it daily, the influence that the AAU scene can have on young people. Um, most of it very good. A, good port, a, a large portion of it very good. Um, but you know, these kids do, and I just caution when, when I do get asked and I, I never give an opinion, oh yeah, take this school over this school. I would never do that. Uh, not only is it unethical, but it's just, it's silly. Uh, I caution them about, about, you know, what they're hearing, who they're hearing it from, uh, and just to do their due diligence, uh, on, on the subject. And then be ready to, yeah, be ready to be all in, you know, because yeah, you better get ready. You're going to get coached. And in most, in most cases, if you're going from a situation that perhaps the school is not quite as successful as you would like, coach is not your style. If you're going to move to a highly successful coach in a highly successful school, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. It's going to, it's, you're going to be competing with a higher level of player and certainly it's not going to be all peaches and cream uh, just because you get a good pitch. So, um, but it, that's, that appears to be the way that things are being, uh, are being done now. And for the most part, I think kids should be, should be able to do that. And uh, as long as, you know, it's within guidelines, so to speak. Um, and, you know, they have to maximize their chances if they want to play college basketball uh, or at least give themselves the very best opportunity to be seen and this goes on in AAU, Coach uh, Coach D, as you know very well, uh, uh, playing in the right places, playing for the right organizations, it's, it's, uh, requires a, it sometimes requires a lot of movement, uh, a lot of decision-making over the course of four months. So uh, it's all about maximizing your best opportunity to be seen. That is true. That is true. Okay, so now we're going to go into the song Coach did selected. Um, feels, feels good. Why did you pick this song, Coach? Um, well, I'm a big fan of Rasan Patterson. Um, I just discovered a young man about, uh, it's been a few, it's been several years now that I think about it. And, uh, and, uh, just loved his music. And, um, and, uh, this song was the one, the first one that I heard and the song is called feels good. And, and it's just one of those songs that, that, that makes you feel good when you hear it. All right. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the music. Your best 
your boy dt on dt's on filter uncensored on the block 105 radio i'm still have um coach Dix and keith online with us right now so guys i thank you for joining on the show um we're gonna move on to the next question i have for you so um do you feel there's a disadvantage um coaching at a small school compared to a bigger school in the state of georgia As someone who's coached at both, I'll say this. Um, probably the biggest difference is size. Um, I coached I coached the ACC guard at, at um, East Hall. I coached the SEC guard at East Hall. Uh, There's two ACC guards, three actually, now that I think about it. Uh, and it wasn't a disadvantage to them. Um, probably the biggest thing that I've seen, the biggest difference, was we just never had a whole lot of size. Um, but my best teams at East Hall um, could have competed with any 7A team here in our state right now. Um, one of them finished 11th in the country and uh, ran the table, uh, went 31-1, and one, lost one game. 
But, um, you know, it's, <laughs> to me, that's the biggest difference is the size. Um, but as far as, you know, well, here's an example. I'm, I've got a young man that he's tall right now. He's a pretty good player. He's actually playing AAU with a couple of my guys from Collins Hill. And I asked them, what did they think of him? And their words were, we like him a lot. He would have started for us last year at, at Collins Hill. So I was like, really? And they're like, yeah, because I hadn't really seen the kid play. And they told me that. And, you know, and watching him now, I think they're probably right. So, uh, so it's, um, to me, that's the biggest difference, though, is size. There's just not a whole lot of six, seven, six, eight, six, nine guys walking around at a two or three A, in our, in our case, a four A school. Um, you know, I think the biggest kid in the program right now is six, four. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure most of the seven A schools, six A schools are going to have kids bigger than that. Keith, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, completely concur. Um, size would be the first thing that would definitely come out. Certainly, access, look, access to more kids, access to more variety, and therefore more size, most likely from 7A down to the to the smaller classifications. You know, unless you're unless you're a private school, obviously, and you can you can bring in players um, from other areas. Those numbers don't affect you quite as much at those schools. Um, but, yeah, no question about it. Uh, you, you know, you generally don't see, you know, you get that you get that occasional team, you know, when when they're putting the, show, the high school showcases together around town in, in the winter, uh, you know, TOC and holiday hoops giving and things like that, you know, you, you, you bring in the very best of the small schools who generally will have a, uh, either an SEC or ACC or several players of that ilk on the roster, um, but it'd be difficult for for an average three uh, A, two A, three A, or four A team to come into a TOC situation against some of the bigger the bigger teams and and compete regularly for sure. Um, and that's just that's not a shot to those programs. It's just the way of the world, obviously. So yeah, I, you know, more kids equals. More talent pool, and generally, can equal more should equal more size in the game of basketball. So, not a not an uncommon theme wherever you are uh, in any in any state that I've ever seen. Um, so, not not unique to Georgia by any means. This is a question I always wondered. This is something I always thought the state of Georgia should do. Do you think there should be an end of the season tournament that all the teams that won state for their respective class? and bracket play to crown the best team, high school team in the state of Georgia? Let me well, jump in. Um, uh, Coach, please. if you don't mind, I'm sorry yeah, to lose ahead. my thought. I apologize for cutting you off. But no, no, I, as, soon as, as soon as you started that question, uh, Coach D, uh, it immediately popped in my head. New Jersey did this, and I still think they do it. Um, yeah, I'm not they positive. Do. They do. The yeah, okay. Uh, the Tournament of Champions up there was a genius idea that New Jersey came up with, heck, back when I was in high school in the 80s. Um, I believe that's when it started, to be honest. Um, we actually, my senior year of high school, we were actually one game away from playing in the Tournament of Champions on the very smallest public school level, which is which used to be Group 1. I think they changed the name of it now these days. 
and and we would have been matched up against the St. Anthony's team that had Bobby Hurley and Jerry Walker and, and Terry DeHair, uh, players that obviously went on to star. A couple of those guys at Seton Hall and Bobby Hurley we know at Duke. Uh, actually, that Roderick Rhodes on that team as well, who went on to play at Kentucky. So it was a ridiculous team. I'm really glad we didn't get to play them. We got blown out by the team that ended up going to play in that, and they got blown out by St. Anthony. So you can imagine how bad it would have been for us. But um, it's an awesome idea. I, we loved it then. I, I love it now. Um, sure, it might res, it might come to some lopsided results, but it also could produce some incredible drama. So I'm all in, and I'd love to hear what Coach Dix thinks. Well, the first I ever heard of it, it's funny, is is from New Jersey. Uh, coach Bob Farrell, who's a legendary coach at Seton Hall Prep, yeah. um, we we played. He and I played each other in a national tournament one time, and, and we wound up pulling a miracle and beat him on a buzzer, beat a shot. And he and I ate that evening together and talked and, he explained that situation and he was, they wound up winning it that year. And I think they finished second in the country overall in USA Today's poll, but they were, they won the tournament of champions that year. And, and I kind of had him explain the situation to me. Um, and it would be, that would be really interesting. Um, um, I, I don't have a problem with it. Um, the, the only thing we, you know, that's probably kind of going to play into it now is uh, it looks like Georgia's going to be a regular mainstay in the Geico National Championships. So we've had teams in it. You know, last year we had two in Milton and uh, Pace, and then, of course, Norcross went this year. So, um, you know, we may be lacking possibly one, possibly two of our state champions, but I'm sure the other schools that are involved would, would be interesting and, and interested in it. I think it would, it would, um, but a lot of coaches probably wouldn't be in favor of it just because their thought process, well, I won the state championship at 2A. Why would I want to go and, you know what I'm saying, and play a 6A or a 7A school and end my season possibly with a loss, possibly a bad loss when I, when I, you know, we have an opportunity to kind of end it with a, with us uh, holding the trophy. So, uh, so there's, you know, there's two sides to it. Um, uh, but it, it would be, it would be interesting theater to, to see uh, all of those schools together in one place. Yeah, I've thought about that. Like, I always want to see, like, do a bracket pe- play. And it basically, I know it's, it's like seven. Then you got private, too. So you got, so you got, how many teams actually win a state championship? One, eight, three, Well, you seven. got eight. I mean, it would, it would, the number would work out. Okay. Because you got, you know, you got six class, you got those two through seven. Of course, now we're about, to, of course, that's about to go away uh, in two years. Uh we will, we're going down to six classifications. So that's going to, I guess that's going to change um, to a certain extent. But right now we have, we would have eight champion teams uh, right now, but that, that won't be the case in a couple of years um, when the classifications uh, shrink to six. And see how I would think they would set it up is by wins and losses. So if you won the state championship, but who has the best win? So even if you have a one, eight that, only lost one game, they get the first seed, 
and then whoever like at the bottom like ac and they oh well you know ac because seven they meet up to each other like a bracket i think that'd be something interesting i would love to see um my other question is hey ladies and gentlemen i just want to let you know we had two other songs to play but i'm going to skip them because i got a couple more questions so i want to finish this um so my other question is with there being so many AAU teams in the state of Georgia, it has become saturated with teams. Do you feel like it has ruined basketball at an advanced level, or do you think this is something good for the state of Georgia? Um, I don't think so. I, I think the more opportunities for kids, you know, once again, when I first started coaching, 96 through 99, early years we had kids playing for there were there were like three programs there was team georgia there was georgia stars and there was atlanta Celtics, and that was it literally for a long time those are the only programs i knew about and then and then we started hearing about you know game elite and smarter stars and atl hoops and you know atlanta all-stars i mean we we started seeing all of these different programs kind of pop up and once again there was a need because there was just so many good players and I think that's helped increase the number of good players in the state because uh, a lot of those kids that may not have years ago had opportunities to play on these teams are now getting that that notoriety so I'm good with it Keith how you feel yeah about it? Yeah, well, naturally, look, uh, excluding excluding the, the fact that it allows me to, to work and live in basketball for, for a dream job, um, taking that out of it, without all those teams, there probably wouldn't be too many evaluators, if any. But um, now I'm 100% on board. Look, it does, from a, from a pure circuit standpoint, it does lead to, to basketball played at different levels, right? But at the same time, the forum uh, of getting these kids noticed, particularly now with live periods coming back into full form, um, the more the merrier. Uh, the coaches, I'm, I'm sure, are fine with it. Look, they're gonna they're gonna know pretty much what they're looking for in a lot of cases. But then you get these great stories, stories that I have been grateful sometimes to be involved in, um, where a kid from, like Coach mentioned, ATL hoops, you know, a smaller a smaller program or an offshoot of ATL hoops or something like that, that has gotten some recent success, but it's from an area of the city or an area of Georgia that doesn't get a ton of coverage during the high school season. You know, you get a kid coming out of there whose story becomes, you know, the talk of the town kind of thing where he's gotten an opportunity that he may never have had. Now social media helps with that as well, naturally. Um, but it can't do it all by itself as much as it, you know, people would think it can or would like to still got to get out there and play and still got to have the opportunities to play. And that's where some of these uh, independent organizations of which Georgia has some of the very best. And I have traveled, been fortunate to travel the country uh, both with on the radar and prep hoops before that to see some of the landscapes in other States. And while the basketball in other places was very good, you know, in many cases, at our level, or at least up to our level, I didn't sense that the opportunities were at the kind of level that, that Atlanta and Georgia has taken this to. Um, that has to do a lot with the, with the very large amount of qualified people that are working in basketball here in town right now. Look, there are, there are some 
there are some that could uh, that could bump those qualifications a little bit, we, which I think would be better in the in the grand scheme of things. But certainly, this is a town full of people doing it well, doing it the right way, with the kids' interests at heart. Um, and so there are there are great organizations and a lot of them um, that are doing that are doing a lot of work allowing more kids to be seen. You look, you're just, you're just not going to get great basketball every single time out um, with more teams necessarily, but that's not really what, what we're talking, you know, what we're looking for. We're looking for ways to help kids uh, reach their goals. That's what we do at OTR and what has been my focus from day one. Okay, so we got eight more minutes. Let me get it. I got a couple more questions I want to get out. Um, do y'all feel like AAU coaches and a high school coach should have a relationship if they're coaching the same player. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think there's gotta be, and, and do you have to talk to each other every day and all that kind of thing? No, but, but I have had very few negative relationships with AAU coaches. Um, you know, um, I, I think, I think we're all, trying to trying to get to the same point sometimes obviously philosophies are different but i think you i think in order to be what's best for the kids um it's 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 you know it's like the african proverb says when two elephants fight it's usually the grass that suffers you know so yeah you know and so if you know if if the aau coach and the high school coach are at odds then usually the kid's going to suffer because he's going to get mixed messages and, and we don't want to put the kids in that situation. Yeah, 100%. I 100% agree. I have seen both sides of that. Um, heard it sometimes from the kid himself. More often than not, I hear it from the families. Um, there has to be some basic level of communication about the player's progress at the very least. I mean, look, if you're not going to, if you're not, if you're, if you're too prideful to get into a discussion about how you want to coach the kid, that's on you. But as far as passing on progress level from season to season, um, you know, if it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be in a written report or anything like that. But, you know, as you, as you segue from, from the end of February and March into right into AAU practices with virtually no break at all. Um, then if you have the kid's best interest at heart and uh, a lack of communication is the borderline irresponsible. So, um, but I know it goes on and I know that egos are, are a factor in this business. So, um, but uh, yeah, I tried sometimes, I can act as a bridge there. It's not really what I do. Uh, but if I'm asked, if it's requested of me, of course, more than happy to to uh, do anything I can as part of my uh, my gig around town here to uh, to help kids on both sides of the AAU and high school spectrum. Okay, so Keith, this question di- directed towards you, man. Um, if you can kind of keep it under a minute, real quick, because I'm gonna ask Coach this almost the same as that question. Keith, when gotcha. you when you look at players. How do you evaluate them? What's the first couple? What do you? How do you evaluate them? If you can keep it on a minute. Absolutely. Look, the first thing I look at is attitude and body language. Um, even if I have never seen a player before, I'm immediately interested in how hard he's working, 
and then how he looks when things aren't going well. Those are some of the first things I jot down in my notes. And then, of course, you know, you start moving on to talent at that point. When you sit down and you're watching a player, particularly for the first time, um, sometimes, sometimes he's not involved in the game um, as, as, as readily as he might normally be. Uh, so I have to look at other things, you know, uh, is he doing other things well? And then, uh, then his true talents come out, you know, from a scoring and a standpoint and things like that. So uh, certainly as the game wears on, if body language, attitude, effort diminishes, then while I'm never in the business of dogging any kids, uh, it certainly does make an impression on me and my notes, um, and I'm hopeful that it'll change the next time I see him. Maybe he's just had a bad day. But, you know, those are the kind of things that a lot of coaches will ask me about even before we talk about his talents, his true talents as a, as a player, as some of these other intangibles that are obviously hugely important. Okay. Well, you, Coach Dix, how do you evaluate players to be part of your team? Because I know in the past you don't coach Ethan Davis and Antonio, and I had the pleasure of coaching both of them in AAU. And now you're heading back to East Hall, your stumping ground, and you got a player I know by the name of Cletus, CJ. I know him, and he's a very uh, talented, good kid. So how do you evaluate them to be a part of your team? Well, the first thing I'm going to look at is how hard they play. Um, like I said, I'm a body language guy. Uh, kind of like Keith is. Um, I, I want to see what they look like. Well, you know, are they always looking like they're interested or disinterested? Um, then I'm going to look at the skill level, skill set, what do they do well? And then I want to see if they understand how to play with the other four guys out there. You know, because that's, that's, that's a thing too. I mean, sometimes I've seen some really talented kids, particularly in the metro Atlanta area, who just simply cannot cannot play with the other four kids. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're at times they're dominant. It almost looks like they're disconnected from the rest of their teammates out there. And then uh, that's always, that's always important for me. Um, you know, I'm, I, I, I see that and I, and I, I really, really pay close attention to that too. So those are things I'm looking at uh, when I see them play. Okay, Keith, if you could keep this real quick, what are you looking forward to this summer? And tell everybody how they can follow you. What am I looking forward to this summer? Yes, in July, because I know that's your time. Yeah, well, obviously June's going to be a lot of fun, too. Oh, yeah, I'll be all yeah. over town uh, <laughs> in June. Um, and then July, of course, we look, there are a lot of choices for live periods. We understand that. But uh, the OTR live periods, five days, both times uh, of some serious basketball with teams from from all over the southeast, so that's just going to be that's just going to be wild, and um, I think the kids are going to be really ready because I think this June is going to be pretty terrific. Okay, and Coach Diz, what are you looking forward to going back to East Hall, your stomping ground? Um, just looking forward to to building it. Um, you know, it's it, it fell on some hard times, had back to back six year wins, uh, a six win years rather, and um, this past year they kind of got things turned around and won sixteen games and. And we're going to try to build on that. And um, obviously, I'm looking forward to the GBCA camp uh, June 17th through the 19th. And uh, and just kind of getting a barometer of where we are. Uh, I really don't know where we are yet. Uh, we did practice three days before the dead period. As soon as school ended, we spent three days 
almost doing a little bit of mini camp and and then we uh we'll start back on june 6th and um just try to see where we are and and, and trying to start building this thing okay one last thing before i let you guys go give me your prediction for the nba finals <laughs> oh gosh I'll, I'll tell you what i enjoy watching both teams play um um I, I I'm rooting for the Warriors just because of what they've gone through and what Clay Thompson's gone through over the last couple of years. If they were able to get back to the mountaintop, that'd be pretty legendary. But I'm also wouldn't mind seeing Jalen Brown, who played for a good friend of mine, Doug Lipscomb, win one as well with what Boston's been able to do. So uh, because war, the Warriors have the home court advantage, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the Warriors in in six. Boys and six, but I ain't sure. Okay. <laughs> I'm with coach. This is gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun this series. I, I'm, you know, the Celtics just went through a slam bam thing, man. They, they are banged up. Uh, if they were healthy, honestly, I believe I do believe if they were 100% healthy, I would pick them to win this. Uh, just a little bit concerned about how banged up they are. Um, so I'm right. I'm right with coach. Uh, I just think the Warriors uh, are, are going to be rested and, and uh, are playing really well right now. So six six seems like a, like a reasonable prediction. Okay, well, I'm kind of on the same boat with y'all. I got the Warriors and six. Actually, actually, possibly five. Because the only reason why I'm going to say that is Boston should not have went to a game seven with Miami nor the Bucks, especially the Bucks when they lost Chris Middleton. It felt like that should have – and I'm a Bucks fan, as Coach did probably seen me post – millions yes. of times. I love Giannis. He's probably <laughs> my favorite player in the NBA right now. And I felt like when Middleton went down, I told everybody I would give, I would say they probably going to beat us in possibly five or six games. To go to a game seven without our second best leader score lets me know it's trouble in paradise. So I give um, Golden State the win either five or six. All right. All right, gentlemen, I appreciate you being on my show today. It was a Awesome. I enjoy y'all gave me some information. I love hearing about this. I love talking about basketball. I love talking about sports all together. And um, I hope y'all, uh, Coach Diz, congratulations going back to East Hall. I know you're happy to go back there. And um, I'm definitely going to come out and support you. Come watch y'all play this uh, year. And uh, Keith, it was a pleasure getting to meet you in person and you coming out to my practice, checking out my players and stuff like that. So I look forward to seeing you all around the uh, next couple months and stuff like that. Absolutely. Great, great pleasure being with you, and uh, certainly great pleasure being with Coach Dix. Yes, sir. Good times, guys. Good times. All right. Well, y'all have a good night, and I will talk to y'all soon. Thank you, gentlemen. All right. We'll see. You. All, right. All right. Thank you. Yep. So you just listened to, I was just on a long call. I had Coach Dix, um, one of the top coaches in the state of um, Georgia. And Keith Agron, one of the top scouts in the uh, state of Georgia. It was a pleasure interviewing both of them. Um, hope y'all listen to the show, got some information about Georgia, because we are the capital of sports and basketball. We produce a lot of professional players. So I appreciate everybody tuning in to DT's Unfiltered, Uncensored, on the Block 105 Radio, Apple Podcasts, 
and Spotify, anywhere you can listen to music. Y'all have a great evening and continue to tune in every Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern or 6 a.m. in the morning Eastern if you're at if you're up there early. Have a good one, y'all. Take it easy. You have just now listened to the most talked about podcast in the country. DT Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Thank you for tuning in.